This is K-Pop Unmuted, a place for in-depth discussion of K-Pop. We're your hosts, Stephen Knight. And Scott Interante. And on this episode, we're discussing dissonance. Yeah, but before we got into what we're talking about today, we just wanted to kind of acknowledge what's been going on, uh, not just here in the U.S., but in South Korea politically, uh, with a lot of protests and riots and scandals going on. We basically wanted to say that we know that this is really important and serious, but it's just not uh, the kind of show that we are that we're going to really be discussing it too much. Yeah, we're, we're drawing on our meager reserves of humility and, and letting uh, people, uh, you know, if you want that kind of content, there's plenty of it out there uh yeah i would you know just one place that we'll recommend that maybe you guys have read before it's a post on ask a korean that really goes into all the background of this presidential scandal with a lot of kind of bizarre details about what's going on and what has led to the current political climate in south korea and you know i encourage anyone who's curious to go check that out and unfortunately you know we will just uh be sticking to k-pop here so maybe not a totally unrelated topic i mean there's different (laughs) kinds of dissonance and that's one of the things we're going to be talking about i'm certainly suffering from a bit of cognitive dissonance but i'm really excited to talk to you about sonic dissonance or musical dissonance yeah i mean this is kind of interesting it's a conversation you and i have been having for a while now and we wanted to sort of have it on air and talk about some different ideas of what dissonance is so i wanted to sort of give some background on a basic definition of what dissonance is and my idea was that i was going to open up my harvard dictionary of music and get like a nice clean definition for us to start with and it turns out that it's really not that simple. So, I mean, basically dissonance is something that sounds discordant, right? Or something that is not pleasant or the opposite of consonants. We use it in music, right? So something that sounds beautiful and harmonious, that's consonant. The opposite of that is dissonant, right? But a lot of it is cultural and a lot of it has to do with physics and a lot of it can be kind of interpretive, which I think is what we're going to get to in this episode, talking about different kinds of dissonances that are a little bit broader than maybe what might be defined in a musical theoretical sense. Yeah, and there's an English language word, dissonance, which just means things that sound like they don't go together, the things that clash. You know, my understanding of dissonance, because I've got the Google, so (laughs) it'll give you a definition if you want one, is that it has to do with the interval between notes and whether that sounds harmonious or not right okay so that's a good place to start basically not to get like too deep into physics sound is vibrations through the air right Mm -hmm. and a particular note is that air vibrating at a certain frequency right so higher notes vibrate very fast lower notes vibrate slower basically we kind of visualize those vibrations as sine waves you know just a nice curve up and curve down. So if two notes are in harmony, it means that their sine waves, their curves up and curves down, kind of fit together nicely. We generally consider the interval of a perfect fifth to be harmonious and consonant. Those two sine waves fit together nicely, right? Whereas notes that are really close together, like let's say a minor second, or something that we consider like the most dissonant is a tritone, right? Those sine waves 
clash. So when they clash, does that mean that the peaks are in different places, that they don't line up? Yeah, so the peaks are always going to be in different places if they're different notes, right? But they can be different in a way that kind of still lines up nicely, or they can be just slightly off, right? And if they're just slightly off, that's going to sound dissonant. That's what you would think. That's intuitive. Yeah, exactly. You know, the first thing I think of if I'm trying to come up with music that's dissonant is Thelonious Monk. Sure. Is that a good example of dissonant music? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this kind of comes into what I was talking about, how it is sort of culturally subjective, right? I think Mm -hmm. that we are far enough removed from jazz and from Thelonious Monk where you can listen to that and say, oh, that sounds nice, right? Whereas, yeah, on a more technical level, he does work a lot with what we would technically call dissonances. So you mean maybe at the time he might have been, might have sounded harsher or more unexpected to an audience? Exactly. And we are, you know, have kind of become used to those kinds of sounds. Mm Mm-hmm. Even in that piano intro, you can hear, you know, clashing notes and dense chords and things that we associate dissonance with. I would actually even go to kind of more of what I think is a straight ahead example in like classical music. We're talking about, you know, like a Stravinsky or Arnold Schoenberg. This, you know, you can hear those like a lot going on everything is sort of unrelated to each other harmonically and it's all these different dense sounds right but then we have stuff that is sort of beyond just the notes themselves clashing in a way that we've already been talking about and i think this is starting to get towards some of your ideas of dissonance in a broader sense so this is a piece that's called threnody for Victims of Hiroshima by Penderecki. And this is sort of like peak postmodern dissonance. Okay. Yeah, so that, to me, that even challenges, like, is that music? Are there notes right. there? You're saying that, that that is dissonance in a broader sense also. It's not just notes that don't line up the way that we like to hear them. It's other other aspects of it that make that dissonant. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's instruments that don't play the way they're supposed to, right? Violins not sounding like violins. or mm-hmm. um, So it's dissonant in that sense. It's dissonant in the sense, like you were saying, where... Is this even music? It creates a cognitive dissonance. And the, you know, sonic palette itself is very harsh and abrasive and dissonant. Now, of course, you don't find anything like this in any sort of pop music, uh, let alone in K-pop. So what exactly are we talking about, Stephen? So my best shot at identifying dissonance or an example of dissonance in K-pop would be the first and last... I call them notes, but obviously it's a combination of notes. In uh, Guyan's Truth or Dare. I mean, if that's not dissonant, then I've, I've missed it. <laughs> sure. It's a piano, right? Mm-hmm. 
but it's not doing what a piano should be doing. It's sort of like a almost like harmonics on the string, and it's this sort of clash of notes. Yeah, I had totally forgotten about that sound starting that song. See, I I loved that even before we thought about this episode when I first heard that song. That's by far my favorite part of that song. And of course, I wouldn't want to listen to a whole song of that kind of stuff. Right. But I think that really is such a great introduction. And of course, it's also the, I don't know if one note or combination of notes can be an outro, but that's the end of the song. Right. Too. She tends to kind of embrace the more experimental stuff as well. So a sound like that kind of fits into her aesthetic yeah. where maybe wouldn't in a more straightforward idol group. Uh, and one thing that I was thinking of is dissonances that aren't just musical events, but sort of more structural things like rhythmic dissonances or even sort of more production moves that sound disjointed or dissonant. And the song that comes to my mind is Tinkerbell. Right. has all this sort of weird stuff smashed together in the production and these rhythms that sort of expand and contract that give it a dissonant underbelly that actually doesn't have to do with the notes itself but it's more structural kind of surprising sounds you know a guitar that doesn't really act like a guitar or that right sort of thing. exactly yeah how common would you say it is to have this kind of dissonance that's the more music theory formal dissonance intervals between notes yeah i mean obviously it's not very common right unless we talk about things in a broader sense like the sort of more structural dissonances or like how jazz chords were maybe once seen as dissonant and are now not as much other than that you know we don't really get a lot of things that are deliberately harsh sounding in pop music because it's sort of you know against the whole point i mean pop music is generally not trying to be challenging or discording or unsettling right we tend to have pop music that is designed to be pleasurable or to you know express our emotions or to dance to or have a good time to right so we don't really get a lot of these kinds of dissonances especially in western pop and i do think that in k-pop we sort of see more examples of it because well i, I don't know that i want to speculate on why it is but i think well you know it's you interesting know. i've got an idea about one possibility, which is, I, I remember reading something a while back that what you want in a pop song for it to be popular on the radio is you want people to not change the channel. You want a song that's inoffensive, that sounds a little familiar, that people are going to leave on the station and not and not go anywhere. This is probably wrong because I know that radio is, is very important in K-pop, even though we don't get to experience it as much being international fans. But it seems like television is much more important in K-pop than it is in Western pop music. And I wonder if that has some influence over pushing the music to being more interesting and more surprising when the primary goal is not just keeping people from turning the radio station. Yeah, I mean, maybe there's definitely something to that of while you're watching something, you can excuse a lot of things that you're hearing. And actually, I mean, you see that with film scores, right? Film scores will be very 
brash and dissonant and harsh. And if you were just listening to them, you would say like, oh, this is dissonant music. I don't like this. Uh, you know, like if you were to play someone that Penderecki piece, they would say, oh, this is awful. Turn it off. But if it were the score of some thriller horror film, it would be completely acceptable, right? So when you're yeah. watching an idol group perform on a music show, maybe you're slightly more forgiving of kind of more experimental things happening musically. I also think it probably has a lot to do with cultural norms. I mean, like like we've been saying, a lot of this is subjective. Things that might sound jarring to us might not sound jarring to other people, right? So it's all sort of a fine line surrounding these yeah, things. Yeah, and it's interesting. I know a friend of the show, Jakob Doroff's theory is that the history of K-pop and So Teji's music being such an important pioneer and such a, an influential figure is part of the reason that K-pop has this larger capacity for unusual and surprising music. So there's probably something to that too. Yeah, absolutely. Although I think that then just leads to the question of, you know, well, why did Soteji make music that sounded like that in the 90s and why was it popular? <laughs> you know, it's, I, think it, I think it just sh- shuffles the question back 20 years. It doesn't fully answer the why you know right somebody had to do it yeah exactly (laughs) yeah but i think you know when we sort of open this up broader if we're talking about sort of more structural dissonances in terms of chromaticisms or chords that go outside of the key or even modulating to a different key within the same song that's something that we get a lot of in k-pop that we don't get in western pop and in a way you can consider those dissonances right if you have a verse that's let's say in e major and then a chorus that it's in c sharp major that's very different and that's in a way a sort of dissonance and like for example those two keys that i mentioned that's the case in i use good day right in the verses she's in e major and the chorus she's suddenly in c sharp major and it's, it's crazy in a way you can consider that a dissonance even though it's really you know it's not those two chords happening at the same time but it's happening within the same song and i think you know compared to western pop where you don't get a lot of key changes like that you don't get a lot of chords that move outside of the key it's kind of interesting that you do get a lot a ton of that in k-pop with songs changing keys or moving around to different areas and doing some more interesting stuff musically. I want to get on to some of the other broader forms of dissonance because I've got a lot of examples and I'm, I'm curious what you think about some of these. Sure. For years, I've been fascinated with the Shaka Khan song, What You Gonna Do For Me. <laughs> and I love the chorus of that song. And it's always been very interesting to me because it's not it's not pretty singing. It's, it's, so, it's a little bit grating. It's a little bit harsh. And again, you wouldn't want a whole song probably like that. Maybe if you're a Patti LaBelle fan, you, you would you like that. But I'm wondering, is it just the timbre of her voice? Is there something else about it? What is it about that sound that's different? And, you know, I don't know whether you have any thoughts about why it would be appealing.
Right, yeah, I mean, and I think you nailed it. It's a timbral thing, right? The way that she's singing and, and the way that it's recorded, right? It kind of brings out some distortion. She sounds kind of shrill. And, you know, I think it adds kind of an urgency to it. You know, what are you going to do for me, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's it's not very passive at all. So when we talk about timbre, then two notes might be the same, but they, they're going to sound different, for example, if they're on a different instrument or if they're sung with a different style. Exactly, right? So that's timbre is the sound of the note, right? So you could have someone singing a G or a trumpet playing a G or a different person singing that same G, right? It's all going to sound different. And that, again, has a lot to do with physics and overtones and different things. But it, it's, in effect, the sound of the note, right? So when she sings that, that, what you gonna do for me? It's, you know, it's maybe not that annoying as I just did, but <laughs> So I'm curious, though, why you bring that up. Is this something that you hear in a lot of k-pop songs as well i do you know i think i said maybe in an earlier episode that a brave brothers fan really likes the yeahs the park jiyun song the yeah and that has that same sort of grading quality to it but right. i hear that a lot in aoa's jimin's rap yeah. Kiana has some of that in her rap but jimin just is all out grading whiny nasally rap and it's just great <laughs> I love that. And some people obviously don't like it, but a lot of people do do like it. And, and a lot of times it's just, you know, she is in there a lot with the yeahs and that sort of thing. But she also, will, you know, does a whole rap verse in that. Hey, hey. <laughs> no matter where you go, Yeah, I, I was not a fan of that at all the first time I heard it. Now I love it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, like the Shaka Khan, it's it's so different sounding, you know. And you mentioned Hyuna as well, which I know you've you know waxed poetic about Hyuna's vocals before. Yes, but it's something that when someone sounds different or identifiable, it's that's appealing, you know. So even if it's this sort of harsh, bratty timbre. That's nice to hear because, you know, you can kind of get exhausted of like nice sounding pop vocalists, you know? Yeah, that can get dull for sure. I don't know why I'm thinking of like the Beastie Boys, right? Where they rap in this really whiny tone or punk music. It's all like that. Or now I'm, you know, now that I'm saying grading, I'm having these flashbacks of listening to like early Bob Dylan songs. I mean, not just his vocals, but then he'll have like a harmonica solo. The harmonica is mixed way too loud and it's this dissonant, piercing timbre, but it like really gets your attention, right? You can't, you can't (laughs) ignore that can't just like have it on in the background it sort of demands your attention and i think vocal timbre can do that as well again we're sort of thinking about this in the frame of dissonance these are sounds that are sort of discordant that are harsh that are sort of demanding attention that stand out right that are not just like pleasant sounding things so i think it does still all fit into this broader idea right and i think it works really well as a little interjection, you know, just a, a little something different. It's like if you're eating something sweet, you know, you have just a little bit of bitter in there. Oh, it, it makes it taste yeah. a lot better. Yeah, exactly. Right? 
but you wouldn't want a whole mouthful of that. Right. Unless you would, you know, some, you might. some people <laughs> like listening to Schoenberg, you know, if I'm in the right, right. mood, I can get, you get all dissonance. <laughs> well, you know, there might be another analogy in that it, it can be kind of an acquired taste. You know, there right. are some tastes that are more challenging. And I think that's probably the same with music. It's probably a rare person that would enjoy listening to very dissonant music the first time they hear it. Right. And again, that can also come back to the uh, subjective cultural aspect of this. We should have started with the taste metaphor. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know whether this fits into this conversation at all. Maybe this is a even broader definition of dissonance in the sense of something unexpected or something that doesn't quite fit in. But, you know, one of the reasons we first started talking about this online was there was a comment on Twitter about the dissonance in Red Velvet's Russian Roulette. Okay. And Red Velvet... They're the queens of singing la, la, la and sounding like they don't really mean it. And in <laughs> yep. Russian Roulette is probably the, the best example of that. And it it matches very well with the video where they're very robotic and emotionless for most of the time. And that's how they sing the, the la, la, la's. And I think in Ice Cream Cake, yeah, there's the a little bit thing. of that yep. also. When you're singing and you're singing la, 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 you expect there to be some lilt and some musicality and some emotion. And it's a little bit surprising to hear it sung that way. Yeah, I mean, in Russian roulette, you know, not only are they sort of robotic in their delivery, but it's also heavily processed and edited in the production too, which creates this dissonance as well. Um, almost like sounds a, a little unnatural. Yeah, exactly. Almost like a humanity dissonance, right? I mean, you get you get this. I mean, la 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 is like the most base, naturalistic way to sing. You know, it's a like an expression of humanity. And then to take those same syllables and and make it as like robotic as possible, it kind of is actually pretty emotional or emotionally impactful. I mean to have that kind of dissonance and leave it to sm to do that yep and you know actually i wanted to mention another song now that you now that we're talking about red velvet uh that whole mini album when it came out i think actually that's how this episode started is when right. we were talking about that mini album one of the songs fool has this really interesting chord change right this very dissonant chord change where we're going from the tonic to the flat fifth chord and that's that interval i mentioned you know way at the beginning of the tritone which is sort of seen as like the most dissonant right in old churches they called it the devil in music this interval that is demonic right and so that's the chord change that they have right from the beginning and it's this nice little jaunty jangly acoustic guitar but it's this really dissonant chord change <laughs> You know, and then it just sort of continues the chord progression like nothing weird has happened. But something weird <laughs> definitely happened there. Yeah. <laughs> so, Stephen, when we were initially talking about this, you sent me something that you described as best use of dissonance, question mark, ever, question mark? Yes. <laughs> I'm really challenging myself to try to recognize dissonance and see, see why it appeals to me. So, please, explain uh, what you're talking about here. So, there's the IU... So Teji song, Sugyak Dung, right. that is not the kind of song that I would really expect to like. It's sort of a slower tempo, 
uh, emotional, nostalgic sort of song. And of course, I use singing it so the floor is very high <laughs> on how good this song is going to be. Right. Uh, so Teji does a, a, a version, version of it too, well, which yeah. is also very good. But I think one reason that it appeals to me a lot, in addition to IU being on it, is that the backing track and the music sounds very discordant, strange, unusual. I didn't really notice that a lot the first 600 times I heard it. But <laughs> And then you have IU singing just the most angelic voice you could ever hear singing over top of that. And I think that contrast is part of what's so appealing to me about that song. That's one of my favorite songs in K-pop or any any other type yeah. of music. Uh, first of all, I completely agree. This is a really unbelievably good song. Yeah, I mean, there's this sort of fizzy, dirty, dusty sound to the synthesizers and the everything underneath her voice, right? Yeah. Almost like it's being played through a cheap AM radio or something, this very crackly sound. And I think that fits into the, you know, the song and the music video is all about South Korea under dictatorship rule and the sort of star-crossed lover romance story that plays out in the music video but yeah it's a very inhuman sort of sound a sort of whiny metallic oppressive right and not pretty it's not a pretty sound right but it is but it is you know it is (laughs) (laughs) but i guess that's that's kind of the whole point right is that we have things that sound dissonant are also the appealing things right those bitter tastes the spicy tastes that uh you don't you don't want the whole plate of, but you need mixed in there. That's what makes it interesting, yeah. right? You don't want a, a spoonful of sugar well. is okay, but a piece of fruit is a lot better to get a little <laughs> bit of sour, a little bit of bitter in there. Right, yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, I, now I want some grapes. I think that the you know this whole idea of dissonance in k-pop or pop music in general is kind of a hard thing to pin down, just like we were talking about how the idea of dissonance in general is kind of a hard thing to pin down, but I think that we've discussed some really interesting examples from kind of a wide range of definitions of dissonance, right? Or a wide range of aspects of dissonance. Yeah, we started narrow and we sort of broadened out. Yeah, so I would love to hear what other people have in mind when they think of dissonance in k-pop or in any other music if you have examples because i'm sure there are a ton that we did not talk about please feel free to send it to us on facebook or on twitter at kpop unmuted or you can leave us a comment on kpopunmuted.com and now i think we will move on to a unmuted k-pop songs segment this is where we each talk about a song that has come out recently that we've been thinking about and are into and want to share. Stephen, do you have a song this week? I have a song. I've been I've been saving it up. It came out right after our last episode. XOCBX, the subunit, right. uh, came out with a little mini album. And that whole album, is that's one of my favorite releases this year easily. It's just a, from start to finish, it's a dance party in a box. You know, you could just put that on, put it on repeat, 
and there's no ballad that you have to take out. There's not, nothing that doesn't fit in. It's just great dance music the whole way through. I wanted to find a song just to be interesting other than the title track, but really the title track, yeah. the single from the album, Hey Mama, is the best song on there. Yeah. It's got so much of what I like in a song. It just goes from strength to strength. You know, it starts out, you talked about the sort of lo-fi radio sound of the Soteji music behind IU. It's an old trick, and it's kind of a cheap trick, but I, I really like songs that start out with that lo-fi radio sound, and then boom, the beautiful studio recording comes in over, and it just sounds so much better. One thing that was interesting to me about it that I wanted to ask you about, the bass in this song really stands out to me. It reminds me a lot of the sound of the bass in Cake, the band Cake's music. And in the rap verse especially, it reminded me a little bit of a a young MC song, Bust a Move. I think one reason for that may be that the the bass line is really playing a very prominent melody, mm-hmm. which I don't know how common that is. Maybe that's more common than I yeah, think. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, it's sort of the prominent feature in that moment. And in the cake example, you know, they're very similar sort of contour of what the bass melody is, but it's kind of a very simple it's what we call like a minor pentatonic scale it's it's the basis of you know almost all blues music and a lot of rock music so it's sort of like a standard melody right i mean they're not exactly the same they're close enough but it's not something that you'd really call ripoff because it's kind of too obvious right? right but yeah i mean i do think it's kind of interesting how similar the arrangement of those moments are uh, with the bass really leading the way, which yeah, I would I would agree is not particularly common, but I don't think it's like the weirdest thing ever, you know. Well, any any song that can make me think of Cake and Young MC in the same song, <laughs> yeah, is great. Yeah. So what the the last thing about this song, I'm wondering if they've had this song around and they waited until they could release it, sort of in the run up to the Mnet Asian Music Awards, right? The Mamas. I mean, what better track to be playing on the red carpet pre-show, right. Hey Mama? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of cynical to think about, but yeah, it is kind of perfect, right? I'm kind of cynical. So. Yeah, that they would name their song after the Mnet Asian Music Awards. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see when the awards happen. If this song gets used all over the place, then we will know that their plan worked. I'm expecting to hear it. Yeah. So Scott, what uh, what song are you going to talk about? Well, heading into recording this, I was of course going to talk about the new Mama Lou song, which 
I'll just spare everyone from even trying to pronounce. Maybe if we have some French listeners, they can help us out. Yeah, you know, uh, Kurt, my co-host on Pop Unmuted, is fluent in French, and despite my taking six years of French in high school and college, I, I wouldn't want to try to pronounce it. But, more importantly, right before we recorded, a new Shiny song came out. We talked about their last release on the last episode, I believe, one of one and they're coming back with a repackaged album to go along with that there's a new single and music video called tell me what to do and i will say it's not the most thrilling shiny song but it is really good and i listened to it a few times in a row right when it came out right before we recorded this and i like it it's got this sort of shuffle groove i feel like doesn't get used enough in pop songs and every time it is used it just feels so good right sort of the preeminent example is everybody wants to rule the world by tears for fears this sort of 12-8 shuffle and this has that same groove and i think that's great but it's still you know it's kind of more of a subdued song from them it's not really a dance track you get a little you know bit of the nice flavor of vocals in the verses and then the chorus they all sort of sing together in this very impassioned way it's not filled with harmonies like you expect for shiny or filled with dance grooves but i think i don't know i think it's a really solid pop song yeah i only had a chance to listen to it once and my my thought was this is a slow song and I was disappointed when I heard that, but as I listened to it, I thought, you know, it's not a ballad. Right. It's, right. It is an interesting song. <laughs> Great. So if you would like to get in touch with us with your thoughts, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook at Kpop Unmuted or at kpopunmuted.com. And please subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts at Kpop Unmuted. And please leave us a rating and a review. If you would like to find me, I'm on Twitter at Scott Interante. That's I N T E R R A N T E. And Stephen, I am at Tennessee Appeal on Twitter. Great. And we will talk to you next time. <laughs>